When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast Conference USA edition on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for the Group of Five and the FCS. And on this, of course, we're talking Conference USA because CUSA had three games in Week Zero that we are getting ready to recap, and then we're also going to dive into Week One previews for you know I'm going to steal the Pac-12 thing and call it the Conference of Champions. Even I don't know why, but it just sounds good to me. It has a nice ring to it. Um, Eric, how you doing today? I know it's been a busy day, zooming back and forth between the both coasts of Florida there for you. Yeah, yeah. Busy Monday morning here, or Monday full day, I should say. Uh, the FIU opening press was today, and you know we'll get into some of the highlights of that as the Panthers open their season. I believe they are the, the first matchup on Thursday, so the first matchup of week one. I shouldn't say week two, but week one of Conference USA play. So busy day, but definitely fired up. Uh, you can hear my voice. Got, got a little energy left. I'm I'm looking at the schedule right now that that just brings out the juice in me because we are back. This is what we waited for. Yes, for sure. Need some caffeine in uh, in both of us, and and we'll go from there. Have you just have you just invested in a property in in the Miami area at this point? With how often you go back and forth between the two cities? Uh, yes, I'd like to uh, shout out. Um, I, I shouldn't say I'd like to because you know I just really don't like this person. Very rarely I'm going to shout them out, but my sister Alicia Henry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, she's a, a great help because she lives in the in the Miami area, and then I um. I also have some uh, some digs in, in Fort Lauderdale that, that help with the back and forth. But uh, it, it's the unexpected back and forth is what gets you, which is what got me today. But um, on normal routine, yes, I, I have the uh, Henry Compounds in South Florida where I post up and uh, spend my time when I'm not at the uh, FIU Stadium press box. That's the way to do it. If you got to have uh, multiple places on your radar for, for work, at least have uh, places to crash. All right, let's dive into the results from this past weekend, starting with Western Kentucky and Austin P. Tops, of course, win that one 38-27 at home. And the weird thing about this one, it was weirdly similar to their opening game last year where they had some issues in the opening half and then kind of settled into you know their rhythm and what they wanted to do offensively in the second half as uh, Austin Reed finishes that game with 20 completions on 34 attempts for 279 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception in his uh, D1 debut. And of course, we got to give it up to Malachi Corley with uh, the hat trick of touchdowns, uh, three touchdown catches there. And I can't really decide which one's my favorite. They were all good. Um, then also, of course, Daywood Davis had the one long touchdown there. But, you know, Eric, I, I guess before I kind of get into my sort of detailed thoughts, uh, what'd you think of 
A, how the tops handled this opening challenge from Austin P, who really looked pretty good, much better than I think we probably gave them credit for in the buildup to this game. And of course, the uh, new look offense in uh, Austin Reed and company there. Joe, I'm going to surprise you here. I actually would like to hear what you have to say first, because I think my thoughts are going to be better piggybacking off of yours as our resident Western contributor. Okay, fair enough. Um, Well, for one, Austin Reed played pretty well. Um, clearly some nerves there in the first half. Uh, the deep ball was kind of inconsistent all day, but frankly, it's week zero. No need to panic there. He's going to get better as he settles in um, and just, you know, continues to kind of build that chemistry with the receivers. And frankly, this whole offense is just built on rhythm and continuing to do things in that flow, right? So that that's going to improve as they go. Defensively, pretty good. It seems like the secondary for Western kind of picked up where they left off last year, right? That first pick that uh, Braithwaite had, that was really good. I liked the kind of ball hawk abilities that you showed on that one. The second one was a gift. Let's be honest. They threw that right to him. DeLello clearly had some kind of miscommunication with his receiver on that one. But you know what? I'll take it. The big thing that I would guess was the most concerning here for me against a guy like DeLello who can use his legs to make a play, they broke contain on him a lot in the first half. Um, so I think that probably needs to be improved. And all, overall, I think the defensive awareness could be a little better. But I think, again, um, with how many there were a lot of new guys in there and clearly on both sides of the ball. And, and it seems like there were some jitters, but overall, pretty good win. Um, definitely some things that need to tighten up. I mentioned reads, uh, you know, kind of timing and, and flow with the rest of the receivers. And also one thing I'll note for how much crap the the broadcast team was was giving Western's offensive line um, only two tackles for loss all day and no sacks. So, you know, they they played better than I think they were they were being given credit for. But um, I think they were also part of those first uh, those early game jitters in, in terms of establishing the line of scrimmage. But, you know, not a bad win, but certainly could be better. Flaming hot take from Joe going right at Chick Hernandez and Randy Cross. I digress. Um, no, I, so it's interesting the things you kind of talk about. I I know some people amongst the Conference USA space, I won't mention any names, um, but let's just say they're nearby in the state of Florida. Um, we're making a, a deal out of the fact, oh, look at Western. They, you know, they're barely beating Austin P. Here's something, and I, I think, Joe, I didn't see too much of this from the Western fan base, so I think they kind of had a good grasp on things. Here's what I hope that people realize, especially in the early weeks of the year. FCS teams um, really benefited from the COVID year eligibility restriction or COVID year eligibility rules. Meaning, unlike FBS teams where you see a lot of guys get extra years and they transfer out or go elsewhere, Joe, you're getting a lot of teams who are bringing back third year, fourth year, fifth year guys who've started multiple years at the FCS level. Again, we'll talk about FIU. They're taking on a team in Bryant that's returning virtually their entire starting lineup from last year. And that's a direct byproduct of the COVID year rule. So I only say all that is to say this. Tyson Helton is someone who's been very open about, he, he likes the roster management um, kind of aspect of the transfer portal. And he will continue to remake his team as he sees fit uh, through new additions. You're going to have a little bit of cohesiveness or, co- you know, continuity issues as the season starts i don't think you can look at this game and say okay the fact that austin p hung there for three quarters and yes you talk about the pick six that mike delillo threw 
uh, that did look like it could be a, a miscommunication. But if you get that right there, you know, this game may be certainly closer or just the four turnovers in general. I do remember offhand how many points Western Kentucky got from turnovers. I, I want to say it was two scores, something to that effect. But all in all, I, I think this was a solid game for Western. I mean, I would have liked to have seen in my mind maybe a little bit more pressure um, from from Western Kentucky, consistent pressure. I know they had they, they did get some some plays behind the line of scrimmage, and I think they had five sacks overall, which, okay, that's going to happen as Austin P is throwing, and quite frankly, you probably should have that level of pressure against an FCS offensive line. But it did look to be at moments, Joe, I don't know if it felt this way to you, uh, at, at moments, it seemed like stretches – where they would get pressure, and then there were stretches where you kind of wish that you know they, they could break through and get to the quarterback a little bit quicker. So that was an observation. In terms of the Western Kentucky offensive line, Joe, I made a point uh, for a lot of the first half and really into the third, the third quarter, to watch two guys in specificity. That's Quantavius Leslie and Rusty Stats, because I've made a big deal about the losses that Western Kentucky had in the transfer portal with Cole Spencer, Cole Spencer and Mason Brooks, right, as far as the offensive alignment. So I really want to see those two guys in particular, A, Leslie, someone who's considered one of the top offensive linemen in Conference USA, and B, Rusty Stats, maybe one of the more underrated players in CUSA, a returning starter uh, up front at center, to see how they did. And granted, Austin P did, for the most part, they, they were a three-man rush, and that's going to be dictated by the offense that Western runs. But I thought they did a good job up front. As you mentioned, I, I, I didn't see – you know, maybe some of the um, things that, you know, Randy Cross and Chick Hernandez saw as far as uh, offensive line issues. Uh, a little bit concerned, you know, with a guy like Dre McCray, who certainly is a talented receiver, he was able to kind of get off and do some things, you know, early in the game. And then, of course, that late score, want to see how that secondary rounds out. But all in all, I, I, I guess I'm not as alarmed by this final score as maybe some of the outer conference USA space was. And I don't think the folks in Bowling Green were either. But I did see some chatter about, oh, man, you know, Austin P took him for three quarters. I think that's a byproduct of an FCS team. There's a lot of continuity, as you're going to see a lot of these teams. Hell, we saw um, FAMU push North Carolina for uh, a half and a, and, and a bit. So uh, I think that's a byproduct of that and some of the newcomers that Western Kentucky is trying to work in. Completely agree. And also, you know, I think it's one of those things where just Scotty Walden is a rising star in coaching, right? We knew he was going to have his team excited um to go up against a team that is like an hour away it's it's two local teams going against each other so you know a lot of these guys who are from the area know each other so they're excited to you know get after each other and again scotty walton's just a good coach he knows what he has personnel wise and he managed it very well over the course of that game uh, Western just had a little more uh in the tank over the end and frankly again that uh, that pick six was <laughs> very very costly um for austin p but it, honestly a pretty good game by both teams so no need to panic if you're a western supporter for sure um they'll be fine a win's a win at the end of the day so let's dive into uh the game you were at eric in florida atlantic just dominating charlotte 43 to 13 in uh, boca over the weekend and really there's a few things to take away here for one Florida Atlantic really did a nice job getting the ground game going. You look at Larry McCammon, 14 carries for 118 yards, like over eight yards a carry. That is phenomenal. Uh, also had a touchdown. Um, and they actually managed to spread the ball around a decent bit in the running game. Total 218 yards per t uh, for the entire team. 
And then you look at the passing game, Nikosi Perry, 16 and 22, 256 yards, averaged 11.6 yards uh, per attempt. Like that's phenomenal. Um, and then we even got a little taste of Willie Taggart Jr. there at the end. He, he only threw three passes, but, um, you know, got it in a little bit at the end there. But it, it's, it was just one of those games where everything was going right for Florida Atlantic and really nothing past the first couple of drives was going right for Charlotte. And then on top of that, um, you had some injuries to Chris Reynolds. He got banged up a little bit, kind of came in and out there. We saw some James Foster action for them. Um, you know, obviously did his best uh, through a pick. Didn't look entirely ready for that. But, you know, who is really? I don't know. For Charlotte, it was a lot of the same issues. I will say Grant DeBose had a few, you know, huge plays, which we knew he was going to make. Um, four catches for 89 yards and two touchdown catches for him. Five catches for 75 yards for Vic Tucker. But really, at the end of the day, this defense didn't do what they needed to do. And this team didn't do what they needed to do against a Florida Atlantic team that, like you've been saying, Eric, looks really, really good. Yeah, as you mentioned, I was there. I, I did not cover this game. I just was really intrigued by this matchup, so I wanted to go as a fan. And, you know, I, was, I had a chance to take in the majority of the uh, second half and, you know, a little bit of the uh, first half as well. But, um, no, it, it's something that, in my mind, Joe, I've talked about this FAU team, and I'm not going to belabor the point about Willie Taggart and maybe some of the thoughts about him as a coach and this and the other. I, I just think, quite frankly – this team has a chance to come out and prove how good they are. And Willie Taggart has a chance to prove that, Hey, I, I kind of know a thing or two, what I'm doing about coaching. You know, it, some of the other stops things happen, but it, 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 you can't put it all on him to talk about specificity of this game. I'll start with the owls first. Joe Nikosi Perry looks so much more comfortable in year two than year one. And I know I'm kind of reciting a Willie Taggart talking point, but it just, it was apparent how much more control or in control he looked of the offense, even though the numbers, 16 to 22, you know, aren't necessarily going to wow you. 256 yards passing. And, Joe, they left some plays on the ground, or left some plays on the field. I'm sure you remember the uh, TD pass that was dropped. I, I, I want to – or you know what? I, I can't remember the receiver was. So I don't want to assign it to the receiver, and uh, it's the wrong one. But there was a TD pass, that wide-open TD pass that was dropped uh, by an FAU receiver early in the game. Larry McCammon, I think, is a story. 14 carries for a buck 18. We talked about the fact that Johnny Ford, was not named the RB1 last year's leading rusher for FAU. Uh, he actually didn't even play yesterday. He didn't play last uh, the, over the weekend. Um, he should be back here this upcoming week. But I, I think that's a great sign for Owl fans, the fact that Larry McCammon, Joe, definitely curious your thoughts on this when I toss it back to you. He showed a burst of quickness that I didn't think Larry McCammon had. And I talked to some people with FAU, and they said that he's never truly been healthy since he's been here. And, and that changes my entire perception of him as a back. If he's a guy who can show that burst in terms of getting out in the corner and making plays on the outside, I think that's a big thing for FAU. LeJounte Wester looks like he's going to be a big part of that offense when the Brent Dearman. Another name to keep an eye on, big, tall receiver, Jamal Edrin. Uh, three three receptions, 54 yards, guys like Tony Johnson, Jaquan Burton, just a stable of guys. And then on the defensive side, what a performance uh, for the FAUL, specifically that secondary. I know a lot was made of the big three article written by Hunter Bailey, and they talked about it postgame. You know, they they were very open and honest about the fact that uh, they saw that. Um, I believe it was Jaden Williams who had the quote uh, postgame and said, yeah, we saw the big three article, and you got to come out and back it up because we're not scared of anybody. Um, you know, despite the fact that, yes, as you mentioned, Grant DeBose did have a, a couple of scores and Grant DeBose even did his little, you know, too small kind of pose uh, after he got that first touchdown. 
it, it didn't make a difference because if you toss it to the Charlotte side of things and where I think you got to be concerned, there's no doubt that DeBose, Vic Tucker, Elijah Spencer, even though he had a couple of drops, um, you know, look at Chad Bird and the running back and in the backfield and Chris Reynolds, hopefully he is healthy. You don't want to see him have another injury as he, he's been banged up a little bit, but there's no doubt that those guys offensively are enough that they're going to be able to keep up and, and keep pace with some teams offensively in terms of putting up points on the scoreboard. But that defense, you know, here's the second thing that I'll ask your opinion on in conjunction with the Larry McCammon question as far as FAU. Just how disappointing is it that it's one thing that they lost? I think I tweeted this out. It's one thing that they lost, but they lost in a way that defensively they don't look any different. As a matter of fact, they almost look worse uh, through one game. It is one game, but they almost look worse than they did last year. And that is a concern because, you know, Jeff Gemmel isn't walking through that door. Ben DeLuca isn't walking through that door. Alex Highsmith isn't walking through that door. So it's going to have to be Amir Sadiq and, and, you know, Kofi Wardlow and Marquise Watts, Solomon Rogers. Those guys are going to have to be the ones who make the plays. And right now it, it just doesn't look like that's going to be, you know, really a, a feasibility, at least in, in the, in the immediate future. Yeah. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see, how uh, Will Healy gets his team to bounce back from this. To your point, they're going to have to dig themselves out of this hole. And we know that Healy is not going to let kind of bad vibes resonate in that locker room for long, but it's not going to get any easier from here. You know, once you jump into that conference slate and furthermore, you have, you know, Maryland coming up very soon as well. So you got to bounce back and you got to do it quick. And for whatever reason they were not ready to go in Boca Raton the other night. So hopefully, you know, getting back home helps something for them, but for as much hype as, you know, Charlotte gets as the sleeping giant, whatever it's, it's gotta happen quick. It's gotta happen quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. And, and Joe, I will ask you this, just following up on, on the other question. Cause I just want to know if it stood out to you um, on TV as much as stood out to me, Larry McCammon. I, I know, you know, quite frankly, not just you, but a lot of Conference USA observers haven't seen a lot of him because he's been banged up. But just, you know, and maybe I, I'm close to the situation, so I know a little bit more about him. But did he kind of stand out to you? I mean, maybe, you know, the burst and the quickness for a guy who is a little more on the compact side, kind of that 5'8", 5'9", 225-pound range. Oh, yeah, he's he's quick. He's he's a dude, no question about it. I will say, uh, you, Taggart talked about this in the offseason season season as well how excited he was for a much improved offensive line both in terms of the transfers they brought in and uh and just the development of the guys they already had in there you know i can't i can't let the uh running game get acknowledged without acknowledging the uh the work that the big guys do there but i will say larry mccammon the the speed on display there he was he was on another level than i think we've seen him last night and hopefully you know for for his sake and for his team's sake he continues because that was that was something else. Yeah, yeah, no. I, like I said, I want to get your thoughts on that because I mean, if they have him going, you get Johnny Ford, and then some of the uh, the other players they have. You know, I, I I am really intrigued to see what FAU is able to do. You know, coming up this upcoming week that they have, I believe, yeah, it's uh, they play Saturday against Ohio. Um, really intrigued to see how they fare there, and then of course Southeast Louisiana because if they walk in three and zero to a Saturday night showdown with UCF and they're firing on all cylinders. I'm not predicting them to win, but I think that's going to be a really interesting game. 
Absolutely. We'll get into that shortly. But uh, for now, let's talk about North Texas and UTEP. Um, of course, UTEP hosted this game, uh, hit with a lot of weather delays, and ultimately, North Texas kind of spoiled the fun that I think UTEP fans were expecting there. But ultimately, it came down to one North Texas played so well defensively and credit to just the intensity they brought all game. Uh, Katie Davis played really well. I think he finished with uh, eight tackles total, um, was just flying all over the place. Um, And then the, you know, you talked about it a little bit in your three things piece, but Austinani looked that was one of the better games I've ever seen him play at the college level. Um, not only was his release just quick and he was, you know, cognizant of where that defensive line from UTEP was at all times, but his handoffs were crisp too. Um, they had a seven, they had, I think six different running backs in there for uh, North Texas, just sharing the load and, and getting things done. Um, but it seems like, I, I watched that game again on Sunday afternoon, Eric, and I feel like, Within three seconds, most of the time, I don't have an exact percentage, but North Texas had their play going three seconds after the snap. Either Austinani had the ball handed off and they were going up the middle, or they had, you know, a, a play action set up down the field. And that was great. And, you know, at, at the beginning of the game, folks were talking about Gavin Hardison and he finished 21 to 48 for 293 yards and a touchdown. The big thing there was once North Texas really had the deep ball shut down, there wasn't much they could do. And also, like, they did have a few opportunities there, but you saw the drop touchdown that went in and out of, uh, who was it who dropped that ball? Uh, It was Tyron Smith. Tyron Smith dropped a wide-open touchdown. We saw that. Um, So that's got to be frustrating if uh, you're Dana Dimmel. But, you know, UTEP, this isn't a hole that they can't dig out of. So, and, you know, it's going to be after the Oklahoma game, obviously. But for North Texas, you got to be thrilled with how good this team looked uh, if you're a Mean Green fan. Yeah, I'm going to start with UTEP first. I think the biggest thing that's probably disappointing for the Miners, and listen, this factor can't be ignored in my opinion. This was the biggest game that UTEP's played in probably a decade or, or near to it, and certainly the biggest game that a lot of these players have played in. Despite the fact that, yes, they qualified for a bowl last year, they had a chance (laughs) this weekend to do it in front of their home crowd, a a community that, you know, not to get on a somber note, but we we know the tragedy that's been suffered in in El Paso and to really do it in front of their fans. I mean, Joe, I'm sure you, you know, you said you watched that game and watched it back on Sunday. I was loved the atmosphere that I saw on TV, you know, them playing music in between plays, keeping the, the fans fired up as much as they could, despite the fact that obviously this game in the second half really got away from UTEP. But on the field, I think the biggest thing that hurt Gavin Hardison was the fact that the North Texas defense, I don't know where they have been, but this was a great performance by Phil Bennett, uh, Phil Bennett's uh, defense. And it, was a toss up in my mind between whether I was going to talk about them or Austin Ani and my three things. And I'll, I'll, when I get to North Texas, I'll tell you why I chose Austin Ani, but not having a running game between Ronald Awat and Dion, Dion Hankins, uh, you know, 18 carries for 63, 64 yards. That's not going to, you know, really sustain anything. And no quarterback can really survive when you're playing in second and third and, you know, down and distance situations that aren't, 
manageable. You want to try and get in as many second and mediums and third and shorts as possible. They weren't able to do that. I think that played a factor in Gavin Hardison going 21, 21 for 48, kind of resembling the game that I know I've made a lot about. And that's the game that Gavin Hardison can't have. Yes, he protected the football, didn't throw a pick, but if you're not completing over 60% of your passes, and for a guy who has never completed above 55% of his passes in his career, that's got to change, right? And then lastly, on the UTEP side of things, I don't think there's any doubt that they were hurt by the loss of Breon Hayward, whose eligibility is still an issue. And obviously, you know, I mentioned FAMU earlier. We're seeing eligibility issues. And I think maybe it's one of the things, Joe, with the transfer portal that I've, I've heard from some um, player personnel people across the league and is that a side effect is some of these academic things. Uh, it, it's going to really, you know, kind of rear its head in that some of the compliance people are backed up. So some things aren't getting cleared as, as quickly as you would like. But they missed him. Praise Amahule. While he recovered two fumbles, only had one tackle. So he was kept very much in check. Uh, despite the fact that, yes, he is a great player, um, he's going to get a lot of attention this year. And that's a performance isn't really going to you know, go the way that I think Dana Dimmel's club needs it to, especially with Breon Hayward not being there for them to have success. Now, to flip it to North Texas, the reason I went with Austin Ani is in my mind, yes, they, the running game is going to be the bread and butter of North Texas, and you talked about it, uh, five running backs or four running backs, uh, you know, each getting at least five, six, seven carries. But look at their numbers. They were more or less held in check. That's not to say that they didn't produce a total, uh, you know, something like uh, 30 something carries for over 160 yards. They, they, they produced enough chunks to keep the, the ground game going, keep UTEP's defense honest and, and set some things up. But it wasn't the, you know, 250, 275 yard rushing performance that you saw last year. Austin Ani's three touchdown passes. And again, he had some passes that were dropped as well. And in my mind, he really guided them to victory. And I think that's going to be the key thing for North Texas. If this defense continues to trend in the right direction, do I think they'll be able to play as well as they did against UTEP? I don't know. I, that to me is, is left to be seen. But, you know, kudos to, to Phil Bennett and Katie Davis you know, for really leading that defense. But something I do think is a little bit more, you know, kind of a, a, a steady variable that you can control. I'm not expecting Austin Ani to throw three touchdowns every game, but if he doesn't turn the football over, and converts those timely, you know, third down passes and, and can use his legs to extend plays, North Texas is going to be a bowl team. I don't think there's any two ways about it. 100% agree. And any defensive coordinator that carries his uh, play sheet in the waist of his pants the way that we saw Phil Bennett doing, you know he's intense. Like, that was my biggest takeaway from the North Texas side the whole night is just how intensely they were playing and really just like not like not – discouraging each other but just getting in each other's faces on the sideline like knowing what they had to do in order to get the win and phil bennett was right in there too and you know <laughs> sorry phil bennett but like he's not a young guy and to see him like matching the kind of energy that his players were getting was were giving off rather was awesome <laughs> really just as a fan of the sport like to see this guy who's been in the game for almost 50 years and still, you know, walking around and, and carrying himself like a young man. It was, it was fun. It was a fun day. If you're a North Texas fan, not so much for UTEP, unfortunately for them, but um, yeah, this hopefully for them, this kind of sets the tone for what they want to do the rest of the year. All right, real quick on this will be our middle segment, but I just kind of wanted to bring something to your attention, Eric. Um, in week four of this year, if we keep up with the upload pace that we're currently at with us and the AAC and the Sunbelt team, 
Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but across everybody that's worked on the Underdog podcast over the last six-ish years, we're going to hit 400 episodes <laughs> this year. And that is, that's wild to me. And I don't know if you have any reaction to finding out how just how often and how, how much work we've put into this over the last uh, half a decade, believe it or not. Man, yeah, that is a, I, first off, no, I appreciate you bringing that up and crunching those numbers because I certainly did not realize that was a number we were at. Um, I am now racking my brain trying to think how many of these pods I've been a part of. Uh, I'm going to go the sentimental route, Joe. I remember, um, I believe I got the invite from Cyrus, if my memory serves me correct. Mm-hmm. Um, because you were doing this podcast with the former ODU punter, um, Satchel. Yeah. Mr. Satchel. Yes. And I, I don't know if, you know, if he just couldn't make it one time or whatever happened, but I, I ended up filling in and, um, I guess, you know, it worked out enough to where, you know, I've, I've been, I've been got invited back and I've been standing in ever since, you know, I, I still feel like I'm keeping the seat warm, so to speak, but, um, <laughs> uh, no, uh, that is, that's incredible. I mean, uh, again, you know. I I will spare all you guys the, you know, sentimental stuff, but in a time in which, you know, um, without getting too inside media, there are certain things that are being cut. Um, It's just great to know that, you know, we seemingly have the support and kind of the backing and the, and the bandwidth to be able to do this. Um, So yeah, uh, that number is definitely caught me by surprise, but (laughs) Really, uh, really glad I've been able to be, a, be been able to be a part of it for the past uh, four seasons now. We're gonna have to do something special. I don't know what. We'll figure it out. But yeah, four hundred episodes. That's crazy that it's coming up that quick. And uh, thank you to everybody that's helped make a help make this show possible over the last uh, five six years, however long it's been. It's crazy. Um, and to everybody that's guested, it's it's a lot of fun, and and we're gonna keep going until um we can't for whatever reason, um until this until my laptop battery runs out, we'll keep going. How about that? Um, once that's done, no more podcast. Sorry, um, <laughs> just kidding. Obviously, um, but anyway, let's dive into some week one previews then, and uh, figure out what we're dealing with on that side of things on Thursday night. We're kicking things off with FIU hosting Bryant on. ESPN three at 7 p.m. Eastern. Eric, in theory, this should be a relatively easy win for FIU. That being said, it it's never really an easy win with FIU, right? We know Gunnar Holmberg is going to start. And you've been in Miami, as we kind of alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, hearing from Coach McIntyre, hearing from the players, and curious your thoughts on this matchup, having that information. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I mean, first off, you know, you mentioned Gunnar Holmberg announced as the starter, and I will toss it to the sound here in a second of Mike McIntyre making that announcement and his reasoning as to why. But um, I, I think it's it's the choice that I expected. Listen, the fact of the matter is, in today's college landscape, I think we're looking at something, Joe, like I saw the numbers crunched. There's going to be 67 quarterbacks by the time week one finishes who get starts or are projected to get starts who were not or excuse me, we're not signed out of high school by the program that they start for. So that is just the way, the nature of the game. There are going to be six conference USA teams out of 11 who uh, field starting quarterbacks who were not players that recruit out of high school. So that was kind of reading the tea leaves and why I projected, you know, Gunnar to be the starter. But in terms of on the field, he's a guy who does have the experience, the games he played at Duke, uh, very much a dual threat guy, you know, uh, rush for 
I believe six touchdowns last year and is, has the opportunity there, has the, the ability to kind of keep plays, extend plays with his legs, as do the other guys, Hayden Carlson and Grayson James, who are uh, Grayson's a QB2 and Hayden's a QB3, as Mike, as Mike McIntyre explained. But no, that was definitely the uh, decision I made. So I'll toss to Mike McIntyre's sound that uh, in terms of him giving his reasoning why he's going to be the quarterback, and I'll pick it back up. So the one the question everybody keeps asking um, about the quarterback, um, I've been very impressed with our quarterbacks during fall camp. I thought they've made good strides, excellent strides from the spring. Um, but we're going to start Gunnar Homburg, um, and then Grayson James will be the backup, and Hayden Carlson will be after that. I've been really impressed with these guys and what they've done. It's been a great competition, and uh, I feel like we've got guys. If one of them went down, I feel very, very confident the next guy could step in and get the job done. So um, I wasn't sure about that at the end of spring, but I'm definitely sure about that at the end of fall. Joe, uh, another reason that I think he is kind of tabbed to be the starter is this is a very young team. You said that there's no surefire thing as a win for FIU, especially over the past, uh, let's see, 19 games. They're 1-18 since the win over Miami. And yes, that's true, but I think especially dealing with a team that is so young and so inexperienced, I believe they are slotted at 127th or 128th amongst FBS teams in terms of youth. The way they calculate that, of course, is uh, class year in conjunction with games played and snaps. Uh, very much a young team. And where you flip that around, Joe, is with Bryant. This is where I think you have a similar situation as the Austin P. Western Kentucky game. Bryant are returning 17 starters from last year's team, and their leading rusher as well, who wasn't even a full-time starter, so you can throw him in there as well. And this is a team that's coached by a former Miami High School legend and Chris Merritt, someone who led Christopher Columbus to a state title. And they have 20 players from their team that are you know, from the South Florida area. And Merritt even coached a handful of FIU players who went to Christopher Columbus. So Joe, it wouldn't shock me if this game is tight for a half or maybe even to the third quarter. But again, I think when you field a guy like Gunnar Holmberg, who has the experience as a veteran, I think in con especially considering how young a lot of the surrounding pieces are going to be, Joe, and I counted on the depth chart that was released for FIU today. I believe seven or eight names are new starters from last year alone. It's probably, you know, for their sake, that's probably the reason why they went with a veteran starter. And I do expect them to pull away in the end when you have guys like Tyrese Chambers and others. But again, keep an eye on just how cohesive. I think I wrote in my game preview, Joe, FIU is the more talented team, but Bryant is easily going to walk in as the more or as the more cohesive team when these two teams kick off on Thursday going to be interesting to see how that one unfolds for sure um and then also on thursday at eight o'clock eastern on cbs sports network we have uab hosting alabama a&m and listen for this one it's the first game of brian vincent's uh tenure as the head coach so we're excited to see what happens there um we've talked a lot about how uab has so many great pieces returning dylan hopkins at quarterback uh, an experienced offensive line um, just tons of names on the defensive side of the ball. And this Alabama A&M team is a pretty good FCS program. They have the displeasure of replacing a quarterback in Akeel Glass who threw 109 touchdowns over the course of four seasons. So not sure on their end who's going to take those reps. Uh, we'll see uh, come game day here. And uh, they do have a really fantastic receiver in uh, Abdul Fatih Ibrahim. Um, so watch out for him and uh, some deep balls coming his way. But ultimately, Eric, I don't really see UAB stubbing their toe in this one. They played 
week one last year against Jacksonville State and won that game 31 to zero. And Jacksonville State also pretty good FCS team right now. Um, so that's that's where I'm at. I don't see much of a problem for UAB in this week one. They've certainly played harder week one games. Yeah, Joe, you know, for me, again, Alabama A&M, that's a matchup, you know, right around the corner for, uh, you know, UAB. And it should be, in my mind, I, this is a game that if it goes any further than a half, it's a it's a win for Alabama A&M, in, in, my, in my opinion. But overall, you hit the nail on the head. I, I'm just looking to see, you know, kind of how Dylan Hopkins fares. Maybe we'll get a look at Jacob Zeno in the, in the later stages of the game. But it's going to come down to the simple things. UAB's offensive line, they have one of the better offensive line among the group of five ranks, and certainly in Conference USA, Sidney Wells and others across that line. Uh, you know, that defense has certainly been a consistent factor for Brian Vincent, Dwayne McBride. But as you mentioned, I think the thing that we are most looking forward to seeing is kind of Brian Vincent in his debut. Uh, we'll see how much of his offensive scheme or kind of his, you know, his feel for things we get in week one. I think, you know, ideal if they win this game by the margin, we think that they will. He'll hold some things back, but definitely be interested to see what Brian Vincent does in his debut. One other quick note on Alabama A&M, and uh, I want to give credit to AlabamaNewsCenter.com, who uh, interviewed uh, Connell Maynard, who is the head coach of that program. Um, according to you know Alabama A&M's head coach, they're going to have 10 to 11 new starters on the defensive side of the ball. It's mostly transfers from programs like West Virginia, from Alabama, uh, from the various JUCOs that have been pumping players into FBS over the last few years. So, so keep an eye on, you know, some of these guys and, and how they um, gel together. If you're, if you're an FCS person um, again, I don't think UAB is going to have much of an issue, but um, should be some decent entertainment value for half of football there. Um, really quick fun fact, Joe, before you transition. Yeah. Um, uh, have you seen the movie any given Sunday? Not in a long time, but yes. Okay. Um, but you have seen it. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, Connell Maynard the stun double for Jamie Foxx in that movie. Really? I did not know that. Yes. That's cool. I, I, the only reason I know that is because I'm a huge uh, Any Given Sunday fan. And as someone who grew up in Tampa and had a arena football league team uh, in, in the area, I actually saw Connell Maynard play when he was in the arena league. So I was like, wait a minute. That that guy looks a lot like one of the guys from the stunt doubles, and then yeah, sure enough, it, it is uh, uh, Connell Maynard. So fun. Jamie Fox, what's <laughs> Willie Beeman? There you go. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. Um, and then on ESPNU, also at eight o'clock on Thursday night, we have Missouri hosting Louisiana Tech. Uh, Missouri favored by nineteen and a half points. Walking into that one, and you know, I, I don't think this. Obviously, this game is going to be an accurate representation of what either of these teams can do. But on the Louisiana Tech side, um, interested to see how you know this this new offense under Sonny Cumbie kind of starts gelling together. Um, I need. To, I'm curious to see what this uh this louisiana tech front seven does against some of these um missouri offensive linemen talked to kiwi rose a little bit about that at media day and i think they were excited to just kind of get you know that test of their abilities and how hard they've been working in the offseason just to see how they match up against somebody from the sec somebody from a power five um ultimately i think missouri is going to walk away with this win i think they're favored by three scores for a reason they have a 77.1 percent on the espn football power index um for a reason but again i, I think it's it's kind of unfortunate that we we got to see you know a, a, a program that's got so much 
to figure out about themselves uh, with Louisiana Tech going up against an SEC team uh, right out the gate. But um, I don't know. It, it's great that the program's getting exposure on national TV to start. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a big thing, especially for Sonny Cumbies. They try to build their brand of football in Louisiana Tech, one that you know is going to be entertaining and exciting and should really draw some eyeballs as things get going here. It, it, I think, again, no reason to think that Missouri shouldn't win this one pretty comfortably. They are the more solid football team, the more well-rounded football team, and the, and the better football team right now. But I'm interested to see specifically, again, the Sonny Cumbie offense, how that shakes out. Devontae Lee, I want to see if he ends up being an impact player, the former five-star LSU transfer. And then, of course, the guys like Smoke Harris and you know Tyler Grubbs and those guys, B.J. Williamson, to see where they kind of um, fit in in terms of uh, Louisiana Tech and getting this thing back to success. But again, I don't think there's any reason to think that Missouri won't you know, pull pull away. I mean, maybe they make it comfortable for a half, but in the end, I think this is a game that Mizzou wins pretty comfortable. Then on Friday, the second ESPN three, seven o'clock Eastern Charlotte hosts FCS foe William and Mary, the tribe. Certainly this would be a game. I think people would be more excited about if it was basketball, given the history of those two programs. But, um, this should be in theory, an opportunity for the defense to build some confidence and then get back to, I really just kind of like playing more aggressive and playing with a little more higher uh, energy level in week three here. So that's what Charlotte should use this opportunity as. I mean, if they, if they come out in this game and for whatever reason, find in a position where they're going to lose, that is red alert. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Charlotte wins this one and hopefully they use this op- as an opportunity to get some confidence back in themselves. Confidence. I think that is going to be the name of the game for Charlotte. Confidence, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. They just need a well-rounded performance. Granted, okay, it's not going to be an FBS foe, but that's fine. Just come out and stop somebody. Come out and do some of the things as a defensive player that make you excited. Some sacks, some turnovers, you know, a couple big hits. They're going to have to somehow get comfortable in Greg Brown's scheme. And maybe even for Greg Brown himself. Listen, Greg Brown's forgotten more about coaching than I'll ever know. So I'm not questioning his coaching acumen but he hasn't called a defense in a long time you know outside of uh i believe 2012 was the last time he called a defense but outside of the season opener against fau so maybe you know just getting back in the scheme of things for him as well and and joe if you remember in will healy's first season when they went two and four and i remember i i i can't remember if it was exactly after the fiu loss or there was a game after that but Will Healy was quoted in the Charlotte Observer as saying, man, I, you know, I kind of thought I'd be able to come in here and infuse some energy and and really kind of infuse my style and, and be able to turn some things around here pretty quickly. Maybe I was wrong. Not to say that, you know, I think he he doubted himself as a coach, but I think Will Healy, from the times we've talked, him, is a pretty open and honest and vulnerable guy, and he thrives on positivity. There's only so much of that you can do when you're getting your behind kicked. So even for him, you know, and, and keeping that kind of – that morale, you know, them really buying into the authenticity of those things, those words not ringing hollow. They just need a dominant performance to say, hey, like we still are a team that can compete in CUSA. He seemed pretty dejected in his postgame presser uh, with that uh, Charlotte FAU game uh, this past week. But, you know, hopefully they put that in the rearview mirror and, and move along here. And then we move on to the Saturday slate, 3.30 Eastern on Fox. We have Oklahoma hosting UTEP. Oklahoma is the number nine team in the nation, and they are favored by 31 and a half heading into this game. Uh, you know, I don't have too much to say about this. Oklahoma um, 
first year under Brent Venables, they're going to be a good team. Uh, they're number nine in the nation for, for Pete's sake. Um, for UTEP, go out, play hard, uh, do your best, stay healthy, and um, you know, rest up on on your big pile of money that you're going to get from you know the Oklahoma Athletics Office on the way out of Norman. Yeah, I mean, listen, do I think that UTEP will win this game? No. But I think even just for kind of their own sake, they need to put together a a respectable performance. I don't think they can come out and just get trounced because that'll be two weeks in a row. While they certainly weren't trounced by North Texas, they were roundly defeated. And I don't think they need that in terms of kind of shaking what I'll call the old UTEP, you know, and, and also just, again, for the minor faithful, you know, it'd be nice to see them come out and compete on a national stage. And once they return home, they'll have New Mexico and New Mexico State. Those are games that they should win before facing Boise State at home. And that'll be another big time game uh, on a nationally televised uh, you know, platform. But, yeah, I, I, I just think for UTEP, they don't need to get trounced. This can't be a 48-3, 48-7 type game. That would be ideal if they could avoid that kind of game. Um, and then moving down to San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. This is the big one, Eric. 3.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. The Roadrunners hosting number 24, Houston. Uh, Houston favored by four right now as of Monday. Obviously, those lines change a lot in the buildup to these kind of games. But, you know, here's the thing. I, this has this has big upset potential. You know, we we talked about this as one of like the most interesting non-conference games uh, very early on in the offseason, Eric. I don't remember exactly when that was, but we obviously know Houston's a talented team. We know uh, UTSA is a talented team. We know they compete for a lot of the same kids. Um, they're, you know, Houston and San Antonio very close to each other, um, at least by Texas standards anyway. So ultimately, like for this, I would imagine that stadium is going to be incredibly loud. It's going to be a wild atmosphere. We know Houston has a ton of talent, especially on that defense. Um, and frankly, there's some really solid pieces on that offense too. Um, you know, if you if you haven't really paid much attention to uh, Houston because you're a CUSA fan, go to underdogdynasty.com and, and look up uh, Steve Helwick's previews of Houston. They're very in-depth if you want to learn a little bit more about that team heading into things. That being said, if you're a UTSA fan, I would imagine there's, you know, you've seen a lot of talk about the Houston Cougar team already. But I digress. I think UTSA's got this upset. It could happen. It really could. It's going to be it's going to be a slobber knocker to use the uh, old Jim Ross wrestling terminology, but this one I'm really excited about as someone who wants to see uh teams like UTSA kind of you know, continue to build that brand as they head into uh, the AAC and kind of take Houston's spot in that league next year. Joe, before I get to the fact that I do think UTSA has a chance to pull off the upset, I think it's going to be a big game at the Alamo Dome again, 3.30 or 2.30 Central Time on CBS Sports Network. What exactly is a slobber knocker in your mind? Oh, God, I don't know. I just I've just heard Jim Ross say it on on Raw growing up that I have no idea what it actually is or means. I guess it's just one of those matches from context it's one of those matches where they just they hit each other so hard like slobber flies out of their mouths i you know like they're punching each other in the face that's all i can think but i again i don't know i haven't given it any serious thought until this exact moment it's ironic you know we did talk about jim ross's beloved oklahoma sooners and unfortunately i 
I doubt we'll be having him on the podcast anytime soon. So I had to ask you, it has been a curiosity of mine for years is what exactly is a slobber knocker. I think Santino Morella asked him one time. I can't remember what the answer was. I digress. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the big time game at the Alamo Dome. For me, really excited to see the stars of UTSA come out and shine. Frank Harris, Rashad Wisdom, Zakari Franklin, that offensive line. It's going to take a full team performance, and I know that sounds cliche, but if they get that, I think UTSA stars are very much good enough to make this happen. And Joe, we saw the media day. Did they look as if they were lacking any sort of confidence? Not at all. I mean, did you see Frank Harris's shoes? Was that yeah. the shoes of a man who doesn't have confidence? No. Exactly. So definitely going to be a good game. I think it's one that could be you know, kind of a back and forth game, kind of like the Western Kentucky um, championship game last year. But I'm taking UTSA. There we go. Um, and then on the Pac-12 network at 6 p.m. Eastern, we got number 14, USC, University of Southern California, hosting the Rice Owls. Uh, USC favored by 33 and a half heading into that one. I believe our own Steve Helwick is going to be at this game. But anyway, again, another one of those ones where if you're Rice, you come out, you see what your uh, what your quarterback and what this kind of new look offense is going to do. If you're Mike Bloomgren, you you know, you go slow, you establish the line of scrimmage, you control the clock and, and see what you can get. I don't think you're going to get a win. I think USC is is going to win this one handily. But ultimately, I think if you're Rice, you just kind of have to look at this as an opportunity to just show how good your fundamentals really are. Yeah. And as you mentioned, our own Steve Helwick will be there. I know he's excited to get out to the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. But yeah, if, you know, for me, what I'm looking for from Rice is just a and I'm not trying to say this to be funny. Can they keep a quarterback healthy? You know, that's been an issue over the past few years, especially in the early going. So I want to make sure that or I'd be interested to see if they can keep Wiley Green healthy and upright. B. What's going to be the offensive identity? You know, Mike Bloomgren has talked about the fact that they're not looking to have 15 play drives every time. I know I kind of made a little joke tongue in, tongue in cheek and said, OK, not going to be 15 play drives. I guess we'll just go 12 plays each time, <laughs> you know, um, but that's because I you want to see some more explosiveness out of that offense. Is that something maybe we don't see it against USC, but do we see some flashes of it that they can take into conference play? Who knows? And then lastly, you know, just how some of the newer pieces kind of are returning pieces, I should say, fall together. Guys like Brad Rosner, guys like Gabe Taylor and others, you know, they're going to get George Nyakwal back. So you want to see some of those returning pieces that they have from last year, kind of how they're able to fare against some of the premier competition in all of FBS football. Absolutely. We'll see how they handle the uh, the challenge here. And then we have Ohio University hosting Florida Atlantic up in Athens, Ohio, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. The Owls favored by four and a half heading into that game. And if you haven't paid much attention to Ohio football in a while, they were great under Frank Solich for a long time. He retired a year ago and they went three and nine last year. So they're, they're, they're figuring things out. Um, they have a decent enough run game some good linebackers, but ultimately FAU is a much, much more complete team than Ohio. Ultimately, I think based on what we saw against Charlotte last week, if they can um, have that kind of performance again, um, you know, I, I definitely think FAU will do more than cover. I think they'll win fairly handily, but we'll see. Um, I think it's just a matter of like being consistent, which was an issue for FAU uh, last season, but for this one, I feel good about FAU's chances. I think they win by at least two touchdowns. Yeah, Joe, I'm going to make it short and sweet. I was really impressed by what I saw out of FAU 
this past weekend, some of that growing talent that I've heard so much about from some of the FAU faithful and some of the people with that program, they're really showing up. You know, guys like Eddie Williams, Larry McCammon, you know, Barry Mosley, Mobley, um, uh, others. So, yeah, and, and Nikosi Perez, I mentioned, you know, really looks to be in control of this offense. So I think FAU is going to go on there and prove that what we saw against Charlotte was not a fluke. Then this next one, 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus, James Madison hosting Middle Tennessee State. This is the first game for James Madison as a member of the Sunbelt Conference. And they are the Monarchs? Uh, No, aren't they the Dukes? Dukes, you're right. It was some kind of royalty. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had me when I was like... I think Old Dominion would be the Monarchs. Yeah, okay, that... Yep, all right. Yeah, Can that, you tell it's... <laughs> Can you tell we're tired? Like week zero kicked our butts a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. All that damn royalty in Virginia, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but you can catch that one on ESPN+. Plus. Um, interested to see what the Blue Raiders have here. You know, I think this offense needs to be consistent. You know, we talked about kind of establishing the run. He's just talked about establishing the run a lot. You know, it kind of remains to be seen if they'll do that. But then... You also have Jalen Lane in the passing game, so you know he can contribute. Um, and then, of course, I, I feel much less um, – what's the word? I feel much less concerned um, about the Middle Tennessee defense, knowing they have a guy like Jordan Ferguson and the rest of that front seven. I think they'll contribute well. Um, this James Madison team, though, pretty darn good. And they're going to be playing at home. Uh, we know there's a ton of fan support. They're favored by six. I don't know if I said that. I'm going to give this one to James Madison, but I think this one's going to be close. Joe, this is a game that I really wonder, and I'd have to go back and look. Maybe I'll, I'll do it when we talk about this uh, game next week. When was this contest signed? Because, damn, Middle Tennessee got a short end of a stick in an FCS opponent. James Madison, a very, and they got to go to Harrisonburg. That is a... Well, they're not, not FCS a, anymore. Or, excuse me, for, for, well, at the time, at the time, FCS. So sure. I, I, that's what I was, I was trying to get, get across. So thanks for correcting me there. I wonder when the matchup was signed um, because they really got the short end of the stick there. This is a game that just being a CUSA homer, I'm going to pick Middle Tennessee, but it, it wouldn't be a shock at all if James Madison wins this one because they are a very, very good former FCS team. The things I'm looking for from Middle Tennessee, Mitch Stewart, the former Murray State head coach, he takes over as offensive coordinator after Brent Dierman for one year. Brent Dierman had a lot of success with that middle Tennessee offense, specifically getting Chase Cunningham, multiple quarterbacks to have success, but Chase Cunningham looked like a very capable starting quarterback under Brent Dearman. A lot of those receivers, most notably Jalen Lane kind of rose to the, the top and had some, some success. As you mentioned, the run game is something that has to get going for Brent. So for, let's try this again for Rick Stockstill, Brent Stockstill's on the staff, but for Rick Stockstill's club, they've got to get the run game going. I've said this stat too many times. The last time this team has had over 580 yards rushing from a running back, Itavis Mathers, I believe that was now seven seasons ago. Shatan Mobley had 587 yards, and that was the 2018 season. So it's been a while, and they've had too many seasons where they've been in the 200s and 300s in terms of uh, leading rusher from the running back position. So that has got to change. Again, I'm going to pick Middle Tennessee, but I wouldn't be shocked if this one goes the other way. Then 7:30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network, we have North Texas hosting. SMU. We know this is a huge rivalry. SMU favored by 10 and a half heading into this one. And this one's this one is going to be another slobber knocker. We saw how well that North Texas defense played. We know that that Southern uh 
Methodist offense. I almost said Southern Miss. You can tell I've been doing CUSA for a long time. This SMU offense under Rhett Lashley, they're going to move the ball quickly, you know, as they've kind of tended to do over the last decade or so. Um, but, you know, frankly, if this North Texas defense played the way they did against UTEP, I think they're going to seriously challenge uh, their crosstown rival here for this win. Ultimately, ah, it's it's tough because I think SMU has the benefit of like ultimately just having that stronger schedule over the last few years. And that's, um, you know, been very beneficial for them in terms of molding that roster. But ultimately this is Rhett Lashley's first year. Uh, we don't know exactly how everything's going to quite gel together. And then, you know, for North Texas, it's kind of the opposite. It's a lot of the same pieces from last year. We know how everything fits together. So it's kind of like, you know, the, the hungry inexperienced team against, um, or the, what do you call North Texas is the experienced team. Anyway, North Texas is going to be a tough uh, matchup for this one. I, uh, I'm i hesitant to say I think they get the upset, but ultimately if that defense plays the way they can, it's going to be really, really close. Just really quick, you're saying that defense being North Texas defense? Yes, if North Texas if North Texas's defense plays the way they did against UTEP, I think they're going to give SMU a lot of problems. Got it. Okay. I am on the same page with you. Now, I think that's a big ask. SMU, as you mentioned, you know, Rhett Lashley certainly going to have some things to prove of his own, but that's a little bit more of a pronounced offensive attack than UTEP in specificity. And that's not to, to slight, you know, Ray Flores and Tyron Smith, but losing Jacob Cowing is a big thing. So those are two receivers who, while certainly were formidable, uh, it's not quite, you know, SMU in terms of their pronounced offensive attack. Uh, it's going to be a tough ask. So that's why I kind of say, I think it's going to be on this run game. If they can get it going, get things back in terms of, you know, being in that 200 yards uh, amongst the four backs, or maybe even, even 225, keep the clock moving. And if Austin Ani can do what he did last week, I'm giving North Texas a shot. In the end, I'm going to take SMU, but I'm really intrigued. This is the game I'll be really intrigued to see kind of, you know, what that North Texas offense looks like, because I'm not going to hold the North Texas defense kind of that same standard they held. Uh, it was an outstanding performance against UTEP. I don't know if they'll be able to replicate that. If they can, then Phil Bennett's getting a whole column next week. Yeah, he's getting a, he's getting a building named after him, all that stuff. Um, but I, I will say Tanner Mordecai, SMU's quarterback, is – Ultimately, a, a better, more well-rounded quarterback than Gavin Hardison. As good as uh, we know Gavin Hardison can throw the deep ball, Mordecai's got a little bit more of a well-rounded skill set. So it's going to be a, a different kind of uh, thing to defend against for, for North Texas. So uh, we'll see how they do against that. And then to round things off with the nightcap at midnight Eastern, um, we have Hawaii hosting Western Kentucky, of course, Hawaii, where uh, Western Kentucky head coach Tyson Helton started his career back in 2000, 2001 uh, tops favored by 16 heading into this one. As far as the broadcast for this game goes, this is where it gets a little tricky. Um, Spectrum Sports has a pay-per-view that you can purchase. However, it I believe you have to buy the whole season. It's rather expensive. Um, I think. If you download the Team One Sports app, this is just going off Twitter, um, then that would be the place if you live on the mainland, which I would assume 99% of our audience does. <laughs> um, 
that's how <laughs> um, I think that's your best bet, but I'm not entirely sure how to watch it. So I'm not I don't have anything conclusive on the broadcast info, um, unfortunately. Um, but based on, you know, some Twitter threads from some of the other, you know, sports writer folks who have, you know, <laughs> been paying attention to this kind of stuff for with Hawaii football specifically, the T1 sports app might be your best bet um if there if there is going to be a watchable broadcast on the mainland um that being said i don't know if you watched any of hawaii's game against vanderbilt last week eric but they made vanderbilt look like you know tom brady and the tampa Bay buccaneers they they didn't their defense looked quite bad um had some some little nice offensive um bursts of energy in the first half um but frankly, Vandy was gifted like three touchdowns in that first half. Um, and then I think everything kind of started gelling together the way both teams wanted it to in the second half. And Vandy, just a better team all around. And, you know, it's not to be unexpected. Like Timmy Chang is a, a first year head coach. It's a ton of transfers. There's a lot of inexperience on that roster, um, which brings us to this game against um, his uh, his former coach and Tyson Helton. Ultimately, I think if they are okay with like the jet lag and and all that stuff, because um, it's it's a pretty quick turnaround to get all the way to Hawaii and you know get ready to go, <laughs> coming from Bowling Green, Kentucky, um, they'll be okay. But ultimately, Hawaii not great, definitely a rebuilding project. So I don't, I in theory, Western should have no problem with this team. Again, I'm going to make this short and sweet. A, I've never heard my co-host so flustered as to how the hell you can watch a game. This is the first. Um, so if any of us get eyes on this game, uh, I'm expecting Western Kentucky to, again, very much win this one pretty decisively. All the things you mentioned with Hawaii and their rebuild with Timmy Chang, I think it'll make for an entertaining game, most definitely. Maybe one of the more entertaining FBS games of the weekend in terms of you know maybe the, the aerial attack. But in the end, uh, it's a really good opportunity for Western's defense to round into form and, you know, maybe for that offense with Austin Reed and others to kind of get their footing under them and Western Kentucky should win handily. I have like a cork board with the red yarn in my office trying to figure out how to watch this damn game. So I, you know, if if I got to get a VPN or something, we'll figure it out. <laughs> or we could just fly you to Hawaii. That's in the budget. Listen, if Beth, if you fly me to Hawaii, I will love that. I would love that. <laughs> I'll bring you back some uh, some giant shrimp chips. Have you had them? They're delicious. They're big puffs of rice that taste like shrimp. It's something only the lovely Polynesian big people could think of. Puffs of rice that taste like shrimp. This sounds yeah. very much like the cauliflower buffalo wings, sir. I mean, it's it's not it, okay. So, picture you you know like uh, you know like like cheese puffs, like how it's like the puffed up rice kind of thing. Sure. Sure. It's that, but it tastes like shrimp. I feel like this is only a quote that would come from a man who lives in Portland. Dude, Hawaiian snack food is on a whole other level. Go okay. there one time and you'll okay. see what I'm talking about. I, 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 what's the name of it? I'm going to ask some people who've been to Hawaii. What are they called? Uh, I think, I mean, the bag that I brought back was just called shrimp chips. Uh, Hawaiian. Shrimp. Okay. Whole, yeah. Ono Giant Shrimp Chips. The brand is called O-N-O and Giant Shrimp Chips. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I have a, I'll have a report on these. Um, it looks like I'll have to get them delivered off to the mainland, but maybe I'll have a report on these next week. And yeah. if, listen, if I just gave Joe crap for no reason, I will apologize. <laughs> You're going to pay 20 bucks to ship a $4 bag of chips. 
Uh, yeah, I didn't think about that part, huh? All right, let's see. Uh, there might be a store around here that sells them. I'm looking at there's a, a poke uh, restaurant that might have them. So possibly. interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can get your hands on them, see what you think. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to check us out on Twitter at underdog dynasty at Eric C Henry underscore at Joe Hio underscore. And of course, come back next week as we break down what happened in week one and look forward to week two. Happy football watching everybody. We'll talk to you soon.